Welcome to Wrestling Rascals. We almost did that. No, welcome to Dark Place Dreamers, episode three. We had a little preliminary discussion about 80s heel manager tactics. Um, we're here, we've watched episode three of The Sandman, and I'm here with Dark Place Robert. How are you getting on, everyone? Are we waiting Was for the dancer? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a wee introduction. Hello, and then you carry on doing your little shtick. Okay, I was... I was... How, what, actually, sorry, what did you make of the episode? I liked it a lot more than the last one. I, I thought I was being swindled last time. I now feel a bit better. Okay. I, I'll be honest, I actually enjoyed this a lot more watching it the second time because I it deviated a lot from the comic books and it didn't match up to my expectations. I had a lot of biases the first time I watched it. Watching it the second time was actually, yeah, it was all right. Okay. So what I will say is, the pro is that it's a lot more linear um, and it does kind of tell a story. The con is that the main character is essentially another new character. So it doesn't really follow on from the last two episodes in a sense. Uh, yes. So the focus, it does shift away throughout the series away from the dream, but there's only so much character development you can do with, um, this tall, dark, brooding yeah, character. Right? Once you put clothes on someone, you immediately limit the possibilities that, that you can use in your show. <laughs> your personality has dropped by forty percent. What's going well, on? He oh, has now. Let's be let's be very fair to him here. He has zero personality. I think not having a personality is personality. No, his personality is in the negative. There's a deficit. Like every time you watch him, he owes us personality because he's like he's like in minus personality. I, I think that's enough to actually watch. I mean, you enjoyed certain certain things you did. Um, I did. The There's well, my favorite one of the whole show is gonna is gonna come up later. Um, yeah, we'll we'll hit on that. I was actually thinking about because there are two storylines that are happening happening simultaneously in this show, and. To make it more coherent for the podcast, would it make sense to actually just deal with one at a time? If you want. Because there's two storylines. There's what's happening with the dream and a new character introduced, Constantine, and also what's happening with, uh, oh, what's her name? Ethel. Ethel, the one that we can never remember, the blonde woman. Yeah. <laughs> the blonde one. No, to be fair, story. her story is a lot more compact, so I think we can just we can just kind of rush hers out real quick. Actually, yeah. Because, I mean, it can be summarized in maybe three sentences, really. Yeah, and she doesn't get involved with the dream. It's totally separate, so we can just rattle it out. Basically, she's still she's still in the, in the mental institution with her son. Um, she wants the ruby back, and they realize that they've never got on for most of their adult lives because she's always lied to him. She finally tells him the truth, and now they're friends. I don't know why she waited 30 years. And he realizes that she was trying to protect him, she says, well, the real way to protect you would have been to give you this amulet of protection. It's like, well, yeah, it's in the name. So she gives him that. And then she's old and withers up and dies, basically. So without the amulet, yeah, protecting her from, literally protecting her from old age. Um, and then he also walks out of, it's, it's made clear that he's in a hospital for the criminally insane. Yes. And the when, guy's... Do have guns though, which we weren't sure about. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, it's America though. I think they have guns everywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, and with Look, the if they can have them in a preschool, they can have them in a hospital for the criminally insane. Okay, I, I don't know if they're allowed to have them in preschools. Well, I don't want to get into gun policy. That's what America. I heard. 
Um, okay. But anyway, the point is some people shoot him and then obviously the amulet protects him so they all die. And then he leaves and right at the end, who shows up in his only cameo appearance of the episode, but mother flipping disco glasses. And no, Corinthian. Wow. Well, okay, if you want to call him that. <laughs> and People are going to be dis- disappointed if Disco Stu doesn't roll up. <laughs> and he gives him his jacket and says, like, you know, I hope you get where you're going or something like that. And um, and that's that's his only arc in the episode as well. So, yeah, it doesn't really add anything other than I'm here too, kind of. He's yeah, it's like, oh, out. also, we didn't forget about this character. Here he is for four seconds at the end of the episode. <laughs> Like, it's foreshadowing. It's all very, very in-depth foreshadowing. Corinthian is supposed to be posed as the season's uh, big villain, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's organizing and orchestrating all of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, but he's not actually doing much in this particular So episode. Disco Glasses does very little in this episode, and um, Sexy Blonde Chick is dead. So I don't know how we're doing, really. Um... It's it's grand. It's a build up to the next episode, and I do. Is it the next episode? No, it's the episode after the next episode that it's building up towards, and I really do enjoy that episode. Okay, or it might be um, next episode. I don't know. There's so many storylines that happen very in compact ways. The main story arc is we have a another very very pretty English girl, and um, Constantine. Right, Const- Well, we feel like it should be Constantine, but anyway. So Constantine is there. And uh, initially, she's talking to the old lady, right? That's the first time we see her. Oh, yes, Granny, who doesn't really feature at all in the show. No, but she but knows... she's present in the, the comic books, which and she's so close. The imagery between uh, herself in the show and the comic books is so close. It's, it, it makes me feel happy. This really annoyed me the first time I watched it. It didn't live up to my expectations, I suppose. I shouldn't be going into a TV show with expectations. But uh, Constantine is played by Jenna Coleman, and I already have biases against that particular actress for her portrayal of the Queen and the Doctor Who, uh, the Doctor's companion in the show Doctor Who. Um, I've never seen her before. I just thought she was gorgeous. Yeah, I I didn't like her in either of those shows, so I immediately yeah. But, but I like the the, um, the old lady. So imagine this sort of. Rotund old lady dressed in raggish layers with a floppy hat and scarves and coats and everything. Kind of looks like if she opened her coat, 20 feral cats would leap out. <laughs> um, little old kind of English lady. So Definitely has copious amounts of cups of tea hidden around her. Yes. Um, but all the tea's gone cold because we can't have nice things. Um, so Morpheus appears and he's just there. We don't... For, so for the first few scenes... We don't see him uh, move. So he just appears and he's just on the steps behind her. And she's like, you know, get out of my way or whatever. And he says, you know, I want to talk to you. And he's always very, you know, we have some business to discuss. And she's like, yeah, F off. You know, God's first. And she goes into the church. She's got to deal with something there. And then there's a, a priest or a minister or whatever. I think it's a, it's a Church of England church. So I don't actually know what they have. But anyway, there's some representative of the church. And she says, there's a wedding, and the wedding is between a princess and a footballer. So, shock, horror, very déclassé, but um, she thinks the princess is a monster, but actually it's not. It's the footballer. He's a demon, and a big hand comes out of his mouth, like it's alien or something. And then she says some Latin. Now, here's the most interesting point here, the very salient point for me, is that while he's going into these weird spasmy kind of fits, 
and he's clearly unwell, the princess is like, how could you do this at our wedding? It's like, oh, I'm well, sorry. Like, I'm having a, a health problem here. <laughs> like, First off, it's, it's the footballer. He's possessed by a demon. And uh, he's trying to pass off his, you know, involuntary convulsions as he's, he's, you know, he's on a diet or whatever. So she's thinking, crap, he is actually going to be sick. He's, you know, it's all trying to be played out very nicely. But now, it looked like, to me like the guy was going into convulsions, like, you know, having some kind of fit. And she's like, well, this is inappropriate at our wedding. Like, <laughs> improper. That's what royalty's like, isn't it? Well, actually, yeah. But anyway, it turns out that, that, that you know... Get the silver that... spoon if he's going to have a seizure. <laughs> so immediately Morpheus appears again then and just whispers some more, um, you know, lines in his usual um, emotionless state. And he says, you know, don't send him back to hell. But she says her Latin and the monster um, with the dreadlocks goes back to hell. Yeah, and so they were having a, a huge conversation that was actually leading up to um, where his helm is at the moment. It's in hell. Yeah. So he's looking for his helmet. And what I like is that he's constantly whispering things to her in a very like overly dramatic kind of way. And she's just like, yeah, F you. I'm doing what I want. And I really like that. <laughs> I mean, that is the characterization. She's really nailed Constantine in this. Um, like she's not playing... In the comic books, it's it's John Constantine that the Sandman has to deal with. I think this works better with a woman. Um, I don't know how I feel about like they've swapped out. They've done a gender swap, um, and that kind of annoyed me actually. Um, mm. Because if this is in the name of inclusion and they just want to include, no, because every show is supposed to have a male and female lead. It's the old stereotype. But this know? isn't a lead, is it? It's just a side character. She doesn't make another appearance. Oh, but um, in this episode, but, I think it worked very well. You had that kind of mm, tension, you know. If it was for the sake of inclusion, then they've already just excluded the only bisexual man in the DC universe that I know of. Ah, so that right. That's really kind of... Fair, fair, me. yeah. It, it, it irked me a little bit, so they just took out, like, one massive unrepresented portion of uh, the LGBT community mm. and just like, yeah, let's let's have some girls kissing. Oh, that's yeah, I, 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 me, I take your point there, actually, I do. Um, but anyway, so they, they do that, they wrap it up, and she says, who am I supposed to build? The Church of England or Buckingham Palace? And, you know, that's a quip, I guess. Um, yeah. and, and off they go. So, Really what's happening here is the dream wants his things back. So he wants to get the ruby from the blonde lady and her son, and he wants to get the helm, which I guess is in hell, and he wants to get the sand. And as far as we know, Constantine had the sand, um, but she left it behind with an ex, Rachel. Yes. There's also a couple of times where we see dreams. So Constantine's dreaming and we see like opening a door and there's like, she's fighting like a demon that's on fire and things like that. So she's having bad nightmares, which are also memories, I guess. Yes. So I even suggested to you would have actually helped to have a little flashing icon in the corner saying, this is a dream for dream sequences. Yes, because I never really know. I mean, a lot of it does take place in the dream, I guess. His entire realm is in the dream. Fair. If that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> um, I suppose the other salient point is we don't see the librarian, but she sends Matthew the Raven to help. Yes. And this uh, really, really took me out of the show because he's got a silly voice. Um, it's, what was the guy called? Uh, Patton Oswalt? 
Patton Oswalt. Yeah, I, I recognize him. Looks like this all you. the time. Like he's a cartoon character. No, that, that's his voice. That's what uh, he actually sounds like. That can't be his real voice. It's impossible. No, that's his he, real voice. He's putting it I've on his entire life. Point. He's been faking it for 50 years. I refuse to believe that that's <laughs> anyone's real voice. That's, that's, no, that's him. I mean, yeah, that's in the, like Paw Patrol and things. I'm a little happy dog. It's not real. Can't be. I, you know, it's, it's a weird one. I can't think of anything else he's actually been in, but I recognize him. He's just, he's there. Horrendous. Okay. Um, took me I don't out like of the show every time he spoke. He grows on you, actually, throughout the series. He does, you kind of forget about the annoying part of it and you just get used to him. And then he actually just, he does get okay. useful. Well, the gimmick between them is that um, the Dream doesn't want the Raven, but the Raven's been sent to protect him. And to be fair, traditionally, the Dream should have a Raven. So, you know. But he's, he's still mourning his last Raven. Well, tough. So, <laughs> what's next in the story arc? Is this where they go to her flat? Uh, yes. So she manages to skedaddle it back to her flat. Um, the Dream is having an argument with the Raven. And uh, during that argument, Constantine just kind of wanders off and disappears. The Dream has to find uh, Constantine again in her dreams and does follows her as far as her ex's flat, where she explains that she didn't technically break up with her girlfriend. She um, just, just kind of didn't come home. You had a few comments about this one as well. Well, because she was kind of like, what? You know, we were dating and I moved in with her for a while and she, she got specifically the... didn't move in. Sorry, just we there. were dating and I was living in her apartment and she got the wild idea that we were living together for some reason. So one day I just left and didn't say anything. It's like, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, so uh, she just kind of disappeared into the night. That's not a nice um, move. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of ballsy to actually even like approach. Just would you not just give the Sandman the address and say this person's here rather than going back mm. well what happens is she goes in she talks to rachel they start kissing they're a very touching moment and then rachel starts to disintegrate oh no it was all a ruse it was a some kind of projection from the sandman and they go in and he just appears again like several times in the episode he just appears and he's just standing there in his black coat looking very emotionless uh he is a walking void and <laughs> Then the real Rachel's like old and sick in the bed, dying, but she's clinging to the sand. Now, th- this is the greatest moment in the entire show, and I don't know if this can be beaten. She's clinging to the sand, and <laughs> you're laughing, I can see it. So the dream walks in, he just takes the sand, turns around, and walks out. And she's, you know, she stops him then, Constantine, just kind of like, what, what, what are you doing? And, and he says, well, the sand was the only thing keeping her alive. And then he just goes to leave. And she's like, but help her then. Now, I love this because without saying anything, he doesn't say anything to Rachel. He doesn't say like, sorry about this, but that's the way it is. He just walks in, lifts up the sand, says, yeah, there's the only thing keeping her alive. And he just walk, yeah, goes to go walk now. out. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it is a very detached moment. This um, is only a small portion of the comic books, actually. It's just Constantine shows up at the house. They do the exact same thing to take the sand and then Constantine wanders away um, saying, well, that was weird and whistling the or humming the tune to the old Sandman song mm-hmm. that they couldn't get the royalties for in this episode. So it doesn't feature. Um, the first time around I was watching and I was too salty to actually appreciate the underlying themes that they dealt with in this episode. So a lot of it is they're comparing Morpheus to, um, oh, the old guy in the first episode. 
yeah, um, yeah, um, the Magnus. Yeah, comparing him that the only thing he's interested in is his power. He's not actually interested. She says that to him, and that's kind of true. Because she says, you want to help humanity? Here is humanity lying, dying on the beds. And you're just like, man. Yeah. And it's done really well, and the Sandman shows pity, and then he... He He gives her a nice little dream to die to. So she's essentially in an opium den of her own making, addicted to the dreams, and it's the only thing keeping her going. Um, I love it, though. I just love that he walked in and was like, well, I'll be having that. And off we go. (laughs) Now, um, we have a nice tense moment where they're in like a little tunnel in London and the rain's coming down everywhere and she's like, Raven, you look after him and she looks in towards him and I thought they were going to kiss, but they don't. Um, But it reminded me, I want a spin-off show um, because she points out, there's a bit where he looks at a photograph of her. This is a little bit back that we missed, but he looks at a photograph of her and she says, oh yeah, I was younger there. And he says, no, you were happier there. And I thought, ah, and now I want him to say, I'm going to make you happy again. And he's the manic pixie dream boy. And they go around town and he says, here's my favorite fast food spot. And let's get some ice cream. And now we're, you know, cycling a tandem bicycle and we're going bowling and we're doing all the fun (laughs) things that they do in the rom-coms in their manic pixie dream night. And then um, they're all happy, you know. So we need to make that. do that. We can make that spin off, right? That could just be a dream sequence. Like all the while, she's still doing her constant thing and half fighting. Maybe she she falls asleep. It's just like, hey, I did want another spin off, but I, I can't remember what the other one was. I I came up with two spin offs in this show. Was it the, was it the uh, crazy cat lady at the beginning, Granny? Maybe it was her. Maybe I just wanted a show about her. I can't remember. Or was it the mother and son? You wanted a spin off show about them, maybe? You know, I don't remember, but there was a second one. Well, oh, anyway, that'll. that'll torment my dreams now (laughs) so that's it right uh yes and then oh uh, as well as that the the one line that i did chuckle at is uh matthew saying that was a really nice thing you did in there and the dream says don't ever look at don't ever spy on me again (laughs) yes i i just i love that he is this emotionless void who just keeps turning up without walking anywhere um and he's just standing there saying and the, the, the best part I really really want to emphasize my three favorite parts of this episode one is the the bit where he just let, let, leaves her to die in the bed and takes her sand okay that's obviously the best bit um the second part is the rapport between him and Constantine where there's this constant you know he's doing his dramatic like we must and, and he's speaking like you would expect him to speak and he's like we must go and find the sand and she's like yeah, must we? Well, F you kind of thing. And I love that. I love that she's not playing into his like dramatic persona, like his way of being, you know, he's speaking in the way that we're used to. And she's just like a normal English woman. Just like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. See you later. <laughs> I love it. At the very beginning, he command, yeah. I command you to stop. And she just carries on. Just like, care. Nam it. <laughs> I love it. And the third thing is something that I didn't mention before, which is the cinematography at the beginning when we first meet her. And she is very badass. Uh, lovely 80s cinematography. She pulls up at this, like, in, it's in the dream, I guess, but she kind of pulls up at this bar and we see a car pull up and there's like neon signs and it's misty and the camera's shot from like a three quarter back angle looking up at the car and the signs. Very, very well done. So the cinematography in those scenes was really good as well. Um, so I think it was a very good episode overall and um, kill the raven maybe and it'd be perfect no sorry the raven's around for a long time 
But everything else was grand. I, I love Constantine as the new character. Uh, I love the rapport. I love the cinematography. I love the acting. Oh, yeah, we, we get to keep the Raven but lose Constantine because, of course. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I was sad to see Ethel, is it, die, the blonde girl? Because um, I did like her. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, the best thing really is just that the dream is now in a world. He's, I can imagine him in his dream world with his librarian standing on the little pier talking in his menacing way and it kind of works but now he's just like walking around london still acting (laughs) like he's talking in his menacing way and he's almost a halloween costume at this point because no one else is like buying into it and she's just talking to him like a normal person would like what are you doing mate (laughs) i love it i mean it happens later on as well um he's kind of a bizarre character but, you know, I feel for him a little bit because he doesn't really fit in. And there's a bit where she says something like, I guess you haven't had any, you know, crazy ex-girlfriends or whatever. And it's just like, oh, he said none. <laughs> uh, he has had a girlfriend, though. Okay, well, that's news to me. Do we see that in the show? Uh, not in this. You see her. Right. Um, but you don't see the entire story behind her. It's kind of just foreshadowing. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about it later in uh, another podcast. Okay. But overall... um. Very, very strong episode. Really liked it. Good. I'm surprised by that. I did, I, you know, first time I watched it, I thought it was the weakest, but wow. maybe that was just Matthew. Maybe that was my salty expectations. And let's end it by saying that what, what, you know, what do they do? What sets up the next episode? Um, two things set up the next episode. One is that the Ethel's son is not on the list uh, in, with a nice coat. Oh, played by David. Um, uh, damn it. Uh, can't remember the, his, I, I like the actor well, and I'm number two here. is that the dream is on his way to hell to get his helmet yes so those two storylines tie in very nicely in the next episode and disco glasses is just doing his thing about still being a, an absolute porn in the dream side so I think there's nothing a brilliant, brilliant strong episode but I, I think that's that's it right yeah that's everything well, All right. that's it. I guess we'll be back for episode four. Um, have a sleepy... I can't keep... Have a sleepy day. Sweet dreams, everyone. Mr. Sandman, give me a dream. Oh. Make it the sweetest that I've ever seen. Good night. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? I don't know. We've just been sued. I don't know. <laughs> just don't sing it. <laughs>